Johnson. Possibly can get the puck to Davidson. Long shot scores! Patrick Maroon in front tips it home, and the St. Louis native ties the game at two. Here we go. Pat Maroon and Kevin Bietz are going to go at it. Bietz tosses the glove in Maroon's direction as they get going. Maroon to challenge him off the faceoff. Bietz had already dropped a stick, and then it didn't go right at it. Rights by Maroon do the same. He connects with one right. The X on the wall balance comes back with a right of his own. Maroon is a much bigger man with the reach advantage. Hey, Blues fans, Patty Maroon here. It's been a dream of mine to wear a blue note. I can't wait to take the ice at the Enterprise Center and make my hometown proud. It's going to be a fun year. Let's get started. It was so nice of Pat Maroon to come on my show and say what he said all over social media already. The exact same phrase, same timing, everything. That was so cool of him. Thanks, Pat. Well, welcome to the show, everybody. This is uh, Season 7, Episode 4, Franchise Episode number 137 of Let's Go Blues Radio. This is the Talkin' Blues Summer Interview Series. Got a pretty good one lined up for today, but... So let me run down the outline here of stuff uh, I usually do before I introduce the guests. So go ahead and hit fast forward there on your iPod shuffle, because I know that's what everybody uses. Probably not phones. Man, I need to get with the times. Uh, You can subscribe to our show on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and Plex. You can also listen at letsgoblues.com slash radio. And of course, I'm going to ask for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. If that's where you get in your show, you enjoy it, rate us. Uh, It helps a lot. uh, helps Blues fans find us. And if you like the content that we're giving you, don't you want to share that great wealth of knowledge you get from us with other people? Of course you do. So go ahead and give us a five-star rating. And again, if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that. Both those things help our cause. So thank you very much for doing that if you've already done it. Before we get into talking to the guest, I do want to uh, give a quick welcome home to Pat Maroon. As I'm sure you could tell, I made an open kind of commemorating him and and his signing with the Blues. So uh, welcome home, Pat. He really makes that Blues uh, forward lines really just a dynamic group. Not going to call him David Backus, but having a David Backus type player... That style, I think, is going to help a lot. Uh, So not only is he a St. Louis boy and he's energized and excited to come home and play for his hometown fans, he's just a a really good player uh, for what he does. Um, Great, great power forward. And again, he's not going to score 50 goals, but just a, a nice option to have. He could really swing anywhere in the lineup. If you have to stick him on the first line, you can. But uh, he really thrives, I think, in a in a role where he'll be playing with a, maybe a Bozak, maybe a Fabry on that third line. I think that's where you're going to see him. But uh, who knows? When training camp starts, all bets are off the table. Mike Yo might like him with Tarasenko. He might like him with Shen and Schwartz, for all we know. So going to be exciting to see where he fits in this lineup. But either way, I think that's a solid signing for the Blues. And again, a big welcome home to Pat Maroon. 
So kind of along those lines, uh, my guest this week was uh, someone who kind of helped break the story, along with yours truly, that uh, Pat Maroon was going to be signing with the Blues. He uh, is the NHL.com Blues writer. So of course you know who I'm talking about. Mr. Lou Korak uh, joins the show. So very exciting to have him on. Uh, Fun interview. We talk about his career and how he's been covering the Blues since 1997. Uh, We talk a lot about that 2001 team that went to the West Final uh, and how that was just a a good group of guys to cover for him. We talk about, you know, writing for a newspaper versus writing for NHL.com. And then, of course, we talk a lot of Blues. Maybe I kind of bury the lead there with a lot of our talk at first, but we do get into the Blues. We talk about 20, 30 minutes about the Blues, I think, and we kind of joke around about how the fans love to discuss lines, as I kind of already did on this show, and uh, we also, of course, talk about Pat Maroon, his signing. I want to go ahead and bring up that Lou had an exclusive interview with Pat and uh, posted last week on his blog everything that Pat had to say, and it was just a really well-written article. So, uh, yeah, if you want to check that out, go to lcorak10.blogspot.com. Give that one a read. He's got other things on there now as well, but uh, the Pat Maroon story is definitely worth checking out, and we mention it uh, on this show as well, so you may want to give that a quick glance before you listen. So hit pause. Go read it. I'll wait. Okay? Did you read it? Okay, we're good now. Enjoy my interview with Lou Korak of NHL.com. This is Jeff with Let's Go Blues Radio, and today I am joined by the blues writer for NHL.com. He's been covering the team since 1997. His name is Lou Korak. Lou, thank you for joining me. Jeff, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for disclosing how old I am, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> well, it's on your Twitter profile, so I figure it was okay. Yeah, it's all good. I mean, it's it's it's, it's been a good ride so far. Just kind of the only thing that's missing with this is uh, watching a uh, Stanley Cup parade down Market Street and covering the St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup winner, but you never know. It could be on the horizon. Very well could be. Now, you did fail to mention, though, that you've been covering this team since you were 14. So let's get that in out there. Well, yeah, well, exactly. You know, I was. Uh, it was uh, one of those where uh, you kind of get found when you're when you're a young pup, and uh, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> so, kind of getting into when you were a young man, uh, not that long ago, of course. Uh, when was it that you realized you wanted to be a sports journalist? Oh God, you're going back. You're going back a long time now. I, I don't know. It's, it was just one of those things when you're when you're a young kid. I, I tended to gravitate towards newspapers. Uh, I, I like to read sports clippings, and uh, believe it or not, I used to. If there was anything that really stuck out to me, and things that really did were like you know when the Cardinals, uh, you know, made it to the World Series in uh, 1982 and 85 and 87. And I believe it was 82, uh, there was a, a school assignment that I had to do at the time. There was a composition that uh, needed to be written at the time, and it was sort of a contest uh, that uh, the winner would get uh, opening day tickets the following year, which was 1983, and I happened to be the winner. And and I believe the way it went was, was just more or less kind of a composition just to kind of 
describe uh, the St. Louis Cardinals World Series champion team of 1982, and I just kind of went with that, and that's all kind of how it got started, and I was just so excited to get uh, tickets to opening day the next year. I mean, you're talking about the defending you know, World Series champions. It was a great thing, and uh, wound up being where uh, a, big, a big group of uh, classmates of mine wound up going to it, and I just happened to have free tickets for it, and uh, from then on, I just kind of started gravitating a little bit towards newspapers, and you know, when it got to that 85 and 87 World Series Cardinals and whatnot, I started, you know, cutting out clippings and pictures of Ozzie Smith doing his backflips and whatnot, and same thing with the St. Louis Blues. I mean, you know, they they didn't get as much flash as the Cardinals did back then, but, you know, I, I really liked hockey and started gravitating towards it, and it just kind of went hand in hand, and you know, I was always having mom and dad get newspapers, and back then, I believe they only cost like a quarter. So, right. you know, I'd, I'd go through, I'd go through articles and just read and cut stuff out, and uh, you know, kind of started to figure out then. And you know, I, I kind of wouldn't mind being one of these, and I, I kind of like what what the writers do with this. And I didn't quite understand, you know, the whole philosophy of it then. But uh, you know, you see names on articles, and you don't pay too much attention to that, but. Uh, you know, people tend to do these things, and uh, here we are, you know, 20-some-odd years later and still doing the same thing. Yeah, I've talked to Jeremy Rutherford a couple times about kind of his path and, and the way he took how he was kind of more of a football guy and then moved into hockey and, and really kind of had to learn on the fly. Would you say that you're already kind of a, a hockey guy going into covering the Blues, or was it something that you kind of had to learn as you went? Oh, no. Oh, no. You had to learn this as you go. I mean, I'll be honest with you, even even today, you know, you see, you learn something new every day. I mean, you've got to pay attention and you learn and you listen from these people that have ingratiated themselves into, you know, this game in their entire lives. I mean, I, I still, to this day, try to understand some of the nuances of the game. And no, you had to... You really had to learn and, uh, and, and pick things up as you go along. I just understood the basic things, obviously, and that's what really drew me into it. But no, I really, getting into it, I mean, I got into it as a press writer. I mean, I, I was, I was really excited at the time just to be able to like cover high school football, high school basketball, baseball, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, this was sort of the, you know, these are sort of the things that I tend to play when I was, uh, Growing up in high school and college myself, I was always a soccer guy, basketball, and baseball guy. So these were the things I really understood. But no, hockey was uh, just started developing a love for the game and felt like you know this is uh, this is something that I may like doing in the future. And I remember you know going into one of my first Blues locker rooms at the time. The players were great to deal with. I was I was in awe because I had never been in an NHL locker room before, but. They were very kind, very gracious, and uh, just noticed the different attitude about hockey players. And from that moment on, it was like, you know, I want to really pick up more on this. And uh, my boss at the time, Warren Mays, who hired me at the Alton Telegraph, uh, he's the one that uh, got me into covering the Blues because really nobody else in the office there really cared too much about hockey. Everybody else was, you know, worried about and doing, you know, Illinois Athletics, uh, Cardinals, uh, and at the time, the Rams. So, Nobody really wanted to pick up on the St. Louis Blues, and I'm like, all right, I'll do this. And from then on, it just continued to grow and grow, and here we are today. So uh, you mentioned your first couple times in the Blues locker room. Did you ever step on the logo? You know what? 
I thought about that uh, actually a couple days ago because uh, I had seen some Twitter posts where, uh, and I don't know where this originated from, but uh, there was a question that was asked, uh, you know, what, what's the most embarrassing thing you've done covering a sporting event? And I, and I had recognized that somebody had said, my first time into a locker room, I stepped on the logo and somebody was kind enough to tell me not to do this. And I was, and I was trying to think, have I ever done this? And I don't recall... To be honest with you, now I can't say this with uh, 100% accuracy that I've ever done it. If I did, nobody saw me do it, but I don't recall ever doing this. And I had seen before, and the perfect example, I'm, I'm not going to mention the person's name, but it happened a couple of years ago where somebody had stepped on the logo, not just stepped on it, but stayed there. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> that might that might have been the angriest I've ever seen Troy Brower because... <laughs> <laughs> All I can remember is Troy Brower just, I mean, the strictest of eyes just looked at this person and said, hey, you, off the logo, get off of it, get off of it now. I mean, this was this was one of those where it was like, either get off of this or I'm going to be throwing these gloves off and, I, and we're going to be going down. So I think it's it's one of those things where there are some players that expect you to understand this and know how sacred it is, but then there are others that – We'll give you that grace period, so to speak, a little bit of a warning. If, if I catch you doing this again, you're going to hear about it. But, no, I don't recall ever doing it. Uh, I may have, but uh, I'll tell you what, after seeing some of the uh, instances I've seen, I'm glad if, if I did that nobody caught me. Yeah, I, I remember a time when uh, Kelly Chase happened to be in the locker room and somebody uh -oh. somebody stepped on the logo and he said, hey, you better get off that before someone pummels you. And yeah. everybody kind of laughed, and he goes, "Seriously, if it's not one of the players, it'll be me." So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like Chaser to it. And I'll give you another, just a quick example. I have actually had some of the Blues uh, trainers come up to me and ask me. They'll they'll kind of whisper in my ear, and they'll go, "Hey, do you know this?" It, usually, it winds up being one of the one of the TV cameramen or whatnot, because, you know, they really don't understand the nuances of that. And they'll whisper in my ear and says, hey, do you know who that is? And I'll be like, yeah, you know, just in passing, I'll talk to them. They're like, you better tell them to move out of the way and move out of the way fast. So, <laughs> yep. so, I've, so I've sort of been the middleman on this at, at times where I just kind of warn people, hey, move now before, <laughs> before you become the center of attention in the room. That's right. You don't want that. You definitely don't want that. So, uh, as I said, 1996, you began working for the uh, Alton Telegraph and the Jersey County Star, covering all sports. Um, besides hockey, what was you kind of? I think it was mostly high school and, and maybe some college. You did. Uh, what was the most exciting one to cover outside of hockey? Ooh, that's that's a tough one. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I could uh, probably a period of time that I probably enjoyed the most was that. Uh, mcguire sosa home run chase that they had i was uh i wasn't necessarily directly involved in that but there were enough times where i was on those assignments and helping out and whatnot with cardinal coverage at the time i thought that was real fascinating and again that kind of goes back to uh the time when i was telling you that i used to like to clip out newspaper articles and whatnot and Still to this day, I have I have boxes of stuff, you know, just nostalgic things that I tended to keep. And I know a lot of times 
those uh, that that home run chase really fascinated me, and uh, I really enjoyed doing that. And uh, I still have the newspaper clippings of a lot of those things. And uh, you know, I thought that was really something. Uh, if you want to go on a you know a, a lower level, just beneath something professional or collegiate, uh, I really enjoyed covering uh, the 1998 uh, American Legion World Series. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with Edwardsville, Illinois, it's a great baseball town, and uh, they have a lot of history there. And they wound up uh, that year, to be honest with you, they won the Illinois uh, Class 2A state championship, went undefeated that year. And I wound up having that group during the summer. And the reason it sticks out to me, because the American Legion World Series that year was held in none other than Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, I mean, how many people my age at the time can get a a free trip for a week, basically, to Vegas just to cover what what accumulates to be in a, a prep event. And, uh, I mean, come on, Sin City? Who's going to turn something <laughs> like that down? So it was. that's one of those that sticks out in my mind. But, uh, you know, again, you know, when, you talk, when you're talking St. Louis sports, uh, other than hockey, yeah, that, uh, that McGuire chase was really one that sticks out to me. And I also enjoyed covering that, uh, the greatest show on turf. I was part of the... Uh, I was part of the coverage of uh, that Rams team, and what a fun time that was. So I can sit here and go on and on and give you a whole list of things that I've enjoyed doing, but those really stick out to me more than any. So in 97 is when you really kind of started covering the Blues. Uh, that was Brett Hull's, uh last year in St. Louis and kind of uh, kind of known, I think, throughout that whole year that he was going to go uh, in the off season. So what was the vibe like for you as your first year in the press box with uh, everybody kind of knowing that um, St. Louis's favorite hockey player was uh, probably going to be gone at the end of the year. You know what's funny is, is that that really was a total blur to me because, <clears throat> excuse me, I just didn't really understand the whole aura and, uh, and everything that Brett Hall meant to not only St. Louis but to the Blues. I mean, it was... Uh, you just had to enjoy it. I mean, you knew uh, an era was coming to an end, but I guess if that happened to me today, I think you would appreciate it more just because you understand uh, the history of this franchise and, and, and everything that some of these players have meant. But at that time, it just it just didn't dawn on me too much that an end of an era was, was about to happen. And uh, I was just tickled to death that, you know, I get to sit in the press box and actually – cover NHL games and just being involved in that and watching them play what people don't understand is to me it's watching the game live and watching it on TV man you talk about you talk about two different worlds it's it's unbelievable and uh being able to watch you know one of the greatest players ever to come through here was you know now that you look back on it it's 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 significant it's tremendous but uh you know it, it was one of those at that time where you're just like eh you know, okay, you know, people come and go all the time, but, you know, now looking back on it, and I've had a chance to talk to Brett a number of times being, you know, in, in the front offices here, uh, you, you get a, you get a greater appreciation for it. And that's a lot of times when you hear people, uh, as they get older and more wiser, uh, they, they, they tend to pass some of that wisdom down to, to the younger generation. And, you know, you wonder why, you, you wonder why they, sometimes it goes through one ear and out the other. Well, when you get to be in my shoes now, you really understand why. Yeah. So in your time covering the Blues, you uh, you witnessed a lot kind of in your early years there. The President's Trophy, uh, third round appearance in 2001, 
acquisitions of Keith Kachuk, Scott Mellenby, uh, Doug Waite, the 0405 lockout hits. Uh, what was the most exciting story for you in, in your first probably, I don't know, eight, ten years of covering the Blues? Uh, well, probably probably that team that made the Western Conference final when they lost to Colorado. What was that, back in uh, oh. 99, two, 2001? That was 01, I believe, yeah. 01, yep, yep. 01 season, you're right, because they had gone 15 years in between. I really enjoyed covering that group, and uh, it was something else because, you know, I don't know how many people really expected the Blues to make, make a jump that far, and next thing you know, you know, now you're going up, you know, you're four wins away from reaching your your first Stanley Cup final since, you know, year number three of the franchise. And uh, all of a sudden, whoops, here we go. You're going up against Joe Sackick, Peter Forsberg, uh, Patrick Waugh, and the list just goes on and on and on. And I found that to be fa- a fascinating series and uh, just a fascinating hockey team. And you just continue to think that, you know, maybe they're going to they're gonna learn from this and they're going to grow from it. And then... You, you you tend to realize just just how difficult this sport is and how unpredictable it is and you know like like I just mentioned it took them 15 years to get to that point again so I know that one really stuck out and I mean you know the team that won the President's Trophy you really it was a fun team to cover it was a team that was just so dominant in the regular season and look what happens I mean you have a you have a meltdown in the first round and you and you get bounced by San Jose so. Unfortunately, you know there there aren't a whole lot of uh, there aren't a whole lot of great postseason memories for this franchise because they just have never won anything. You know, I mean they've 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 always been a participant. That's one thing, but being able to win it all is something that you know you always thought that was uh, on the horizon for this team, and it just never developed. And uh, you think about all the great players that they have had with the Prongers, the McInnes's, the Brett Halls. Uh, you can go on and on and on, Adam Oates and and whatnot. It's it, it was just it was something it was something to see. And uh, you, you, when you look back on it, you you kind of scratch your head and you're wondering how the heck did that team not do anything or not be able to raise a cup? But you know that's there's a lot of franchises in pro sports around that can say the same thing. And unfortunately, right now the Blues are among those. And uh, you know, you just you just hope that one day that it's going to turn. But there were some great memories, no doubt about it. Uh, being able to be around some of those guys, you just think, man, I had a chance to, you know, rub elbows a little bit and interview some uh, what wound up being future Hall of Fame players, and you get a great appreciation for that. So uh, after that, those years and, and the lockout in 0405, uh, the Blues fans don't like to talk about this era, but the next couple of years were pretty lean for the Blues. Um, I've actually spoken to a writer who says it's easier to write about a losing team than it is about a winning team. So do you find that to be true with what you went through covering the Blues uh, there in the mid-2000s? Or uh, was it kind of more difficult for you to show up and and, uh, be able to write a, a solid piece every night? I don't think it was really difficult to show up to write a solid piece, but I'll be honest with you, I find it I find it much more easier to cover a winning team. I really do because to me, you get better information coming out of a locker room. You you get you tend to get a little bit more cooperation from the players and that's natural. I mean, you win, you know, you, you get happy faces, you get happy guys. Of course they want to talk to you, but uh that was a tough time, to be honest with you, because I remember, and there were a number of us that covered the team, were just like, 
man, this, this is just getting old, covering the same story over and over and over again, losing, losing, losing. And I used to remember going into those press conferences, and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, and I still say hello to him, uh, you know, whenever I see him, and unfortunately he's not in the game right now, is my kitchen. And I just kept thinking, man, this guy is being laid out as a sacrificial lamb here for for this mess that uh, the Lorries turned this into when they sold the franchise. And, uh, you know, it was tough asking him questions because you just you, you kept feeling like you were asking the guy the same thing over and over and over again, and you – you know, you just kept wondering, when's he going to look at you and go, do you got something better? Do you got something different to come at me with? And I, I just, it was it was tough just showing up to the arena at the time because, you know, they only wound up winning, if I'm not mistaken, that first year out of the lockout. I think they only won 21 games, and it was just hard. It, it, it was tough to be around it. And uh, I, uh, I got to a point where I just didn't know what to ask anymore, and, I just kept I, I kept feeling like I was in Groundhog Day. You know, it's just like, well, we're going to show up. We're going to write the same losing story all over again. This team's a train wreck. It's a mess. And, you know, there's, there's really no end to it in sight. But, you know, fortunately, uh, along came John Davidson and started turning things around and things started getting better again. But, no, I'll be honest with you. I, I To me, covering a winning team is, is, not only, is not only more beneficial for us, it's a lot more fun. No, I, I'm with you. I think uh, a lot of people would agree with you, but yeah, I've had one guy tell me that, and I, it kind of struck me, and I said, you know what, I'm going to ask this question of every guy I talk to that covers the team, so I'm glad you agree. Uh, no, it's, it's, no, honestly, it's everybody has everybody has their own shtick to a, to a certain degree, and I can understand some people, some people tend to like to go in that direction, but I, I tend to, I like going more in, in, into the positive vibes, to be honest with you. So you join NHL.com as the Blues writer in 2011-2012. That was when the team started to really turn around. Their first playoff, well, they appeared in 09, but that was a uh, a, uh, a sweep by the Canucks. But they get back in 2012, make it to the second round, and all of a sudden, again, you're writing more positive, as you said. Um, How different was it for you to start writing for the NHL rather than the type of reporting you were already doing? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I had a little more, obviously, free reign. You know, writing here as, quote-unquote, being a beat guy here locally. And, you know, whoever I work for, you know, that that's kind of the way it goes. They tend to, you know, trust you and believe that, you know, you, you, have, a, you have a pulse and you have a handle on what's going on. So they really they really rely on you for coverage. And to be honest with you, I got hired by a guy named Bob Condor at NHL.com, and I'll always be grateful to him for that. And, uh, you know, he kind of gave me the same sort of free reign. But, I mean, you know, there were some guidelines you had to cover. You know, you had to uh, go over and, you know, particular things that uh, they wanted differently because now you're not only dealing with, um, you know, just covering the one team that, you know, this is – this is an operation that's, you know, looking at 30 different teams at the time. So you have to balance things out, and you have to understand that, uh, you know, they're wanting coverage from you, but they're also wanting coverage from, you know, 29 other writers around North America. And it makes a big difference. You know, you, you, sort, of, uh, you sort of have to follow certain guidelines, which is fine with me. I had no problem with that. And then, you know, 
they were always grateful and willing to accept pitches from you uh, as far as feature ideas go and, you know, what they wanted out of game coverage. And that's started to change as uh, obviously, you know, some some upper management started changing around dot com. You know, it's it's gotten a little more it's gotten a little different. But, you know, at, at the time it was uh, it was a great opportunity for me and one I really embraced and one where things that changed for me was is you know you just tend to focus on one thing instead of uh you know a variety of uh of sports and a variety of teams and i I didn't know how to accept that at first that i was just going to strictly be covering the st louis blues but you know as time goes on you, you got immune to it and uh you got a greater appreciation for it because the more you were around the better understanding you've got of players, the better understanding you've got of management and of coaches, and you develop better relationships when they see you around more as opposed to, you know, just being around maybe a couple times a week, you know. So they see you around the rink more, and they know you more. You get to be more on a, on a first-name basis, and I think that's kind of where this has grown into for me now. And, uh, you know, you get a greater appreciation for these guys, and they get a greater appreciation for you as well. So uh, let's say it's a 7 o'clock game, ends around 9.35 or so. Uh, what's your dead like, or, sorry, deadline like with NHL.com? They usually want uh, a running game story filed right at, right, at, right at the buzzer. And, you know, that's typically around 300 words, which is pretty much just a quick recap. So you're writing things as, uh, as the game goes. And obviously you can't turn this into a big novel because – they just want something posted immediately after the game, just pretty much to nuts and the bolts, you know, who had the big game, who scored game time or, or goal times and all that sort of stuff, goalie saves and goalies, and pretty much you just kind of compact, compact all that into 300 words, uh, which is fine. They'll they'll edit the story at the desk. They'll send it back to you, as, as and you write off of that with your write-through, which uh, – your write through typically is 800 words, and uh, they they usually want it uh, in an hour and a half after after the final buzzer. So by the time you get your stuff downstairs and come back upstairs, you probably have about an hour to put a game story together with quotes, is what they call a write through. And what's changed now with us is is we have different categories. Uh, it, it's a little bit more game story stuff, and then there's categories that go with. Uh, you got to come up with a segment called goal of the game. You got to save the game. You've got to play of the game. And then your little nuts and bolts information at the bottom. It doesn't sound like you have a whole lot of, uh, of word usage for all that stuff, but you tend to learn and you, and you kind of compact everything together. Um, I have my, own, I write my own blog, which I tend to, uh, kind of expand on things. And I know people maybe want to hear and read and see some more stuff with, with, with my dot com articles. You just don't have that luxury right now, you know, because again, there you've got a desk there that's dealing with multiple games, uh, multiple teams, and you just don't want to overflow and overflood the site with all sorts of information where guys are and and ladies are sending in, you know, one thousand, two thousand word stories that you know editors has got to take you know extra time to edit and and go over and put on pages and whatnot. So, you know, if people want to see more, you know, I'll, I'll tend to. Uh, expand upon things uh, wherever I can do that on my own free will and time, but uh, it's a little more stricter with the dot-com operation, and uh, you know, it, it's understandable when you're dealing with 31 teams now. So uh, it's I, I used to sit next to a guy who worked for um, uh, 101.1 ESPN, 
<clears throat> and he always used to say that his his favorite thing about the press box was when um, it would be like a 2-1 game, there'd be two minutes left, and then the other team would tie it. And you would just see all the writers' hands just go up in the air and say, <laughs> well, there goes my narrative. And he said, I'm you, one of it, them. Yeah, and you are one of them. And he, he always pointed down to your section with Rutherford and all those guys and, and Timmerman. So uh, what is that like for you? I mean, is that something where you're just kind of like, you're mad, but you're kind of like, well, like especially the Blues are down. Okay, well, hey, they came back. That's great, but now I got to rewrite everything. I mean, is it is it anger, or is it, or is it more just kind of like a, oh, I need to, you know, get on the horse and and completely rewrite this thing? Well, let, let's be honest with you here. You, you've got to when you're sitting upstairs and you get this, you've you've got to take the fandom out of it. There, there's none of that, and you can't have any of that involved because first and foremost, you're there to do a job. You're there to do a job. You're there to report on what's going on and. Yeah, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I, it's anger with me because um, <laughs> I've seen it, and I've done it a number of times, and the greatest example I can give you was, I want to say it was in the early 2000s. I was at a, I was at a Blues-Blackhawks game. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was I, I had the perfect setup where you cover a game. I believe it was a 2 o'clock start, and you're going to get out of there, I'm going to guess, Six seven o'clock. I drove the game at the time, and uh, and I kept thinking this would be perfect. I should be home by midnight, and you know, piece of cake, no sweat. Well, the Blues had a two goal lead with five minutes left. I had everything done, written, ready to go. All I have to do is just hit hit file as soon as this sucker is done. No problems. Well, Chicago wound up tying the game. I'm looking at my screen, and I'm ready to shatter this glass. <laughs> I'm ready to take this thing and just whip it out into the stands and just saying, the heck with all this, I don't want to do this anymore. And sure enough, the Blackhawks wound up winning 5-4 in overtime. And it was great afterwards because Joel Quinville was still coaching the Blues at the time. So this was uh, early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I had never seen such anger on his face and disgust in losing a game. And I'm coming upstairs and I'm thinking, this is great. I okay. I have to rewrite all this, but this is awesome because I got such great stuff from Joel Quinville after the game. But I remember at the time just thinking, "Why did this happen? How come this happened to us?" And <laughs> I I got to a point where I'm like, "Ah, this is just a one-time thing." But as you grow older, you have to be a little more cautious because you almost have to leave stories open-ended just because of what you said, where you get one of those last-minute tying goals where you got to change your narratives. But it gets to be tough because, you know, you want things to go smoothly, but the problem is once they don't go smoothly, now you have to you have to rewrite things and change things on a whim, and that's where you start to kind of jumble things together. And you hope you got, you know, you trust that you got good editors on the desk where if they're going to catch any of your mistakes because, you know, you're changing things on the fly, that's when your mistakes tend to happen. And that's pro that's what I hate about it more than anything. Nothing's ever going to go perfect, but, of course, in our world, you want it to go perfect. And I don't know how many times in the last handful of years I've looked down at Tom Timmerman and go, Tom, did you start writing yet? And he'll look at me with this great smile, and he knows that I have. And anytime something changes, he'll look at me and he goes, Lou, when are you going to learn? You know, <laughs> so I'm just one of these guys that, you know, thinks that everything's going to go smoothly. But we're talking about the St. Louis Blues. It never does. <laughs> no, no, it does not. <laughs> no. Uh, so, so who uh, who in the press box is someone that you really kind of look forward to seeing uh, every time the Blues have a game? 
Well, I can kind of go back to now we don't see him at all anymore, and I hope to God that, you know, health-wise everything's going good. But the guy I always kind of looked up to over the years and have had some tremendous conversations with, and I really miss those conversations with, is Larry Wiggy. The guy was, uh, he didn't have to do what he did. I mean, you're talking about, to me, he's, as far as media people, he's Mr. Hockey in St. Louis, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the guy's lived, breathed, and done everything and, and understands all, everything about St. Louis Blues hockey. And, you know, when I first came into the press box, I was I was that young guy that, you know, kind of, you know, had his, in an area where I'm, I'm in awe, and this, this is a guy that, I don't want to say he took me under his wing, but he was gracious enough to talk to me and, you know, allowed me to, allowed me to talk to him and ask him questions and just understand everything. And I don't ever recall him turning me down for a conversation ever. And as, and as the years continued to go and, and as the time continued to go on, those conversations just got to be better and better. And I, and I loved them every, each and every one of them because, Although we didn't always agree on everything, uh, I always respected Larry's opinion. And anytime you ever talk to anybody about him, uh, you get nothing but respectful things about Larry Wiggy. And I really miss seeing him in the press box. And it's no disrespect to anybody else up there, but uh, to me, you know, the, the guy had a great impact on my career so far and uh, somebody that I've missed here in the last year or so. So kind of shifting more towards the blues. Um... Greg Wyshynski of ESPN just wrote an article recently about how Doug Armstrong has won the summer. Uh, what do you think his greatest achievement has been this offseason, whether it's a, an addition or a subtraction? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I find everything that he's done so far to be beneficial for this hockey team. And I would say... You know, it's it's easy to point at it, but I mean, to make that trade for Ryan O'Reilly, I think is uh, a bold move, a, a great statement, and a testament to the fact that he's wanting to go for it now. And this is after a team that obviously made the conference final in 2016, and you know, in the, in the last two years has seen a little bit of dip in production and 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 expectations and. Uh, you know, you had a fan base here that was uh, on the edge of its seat wondering what's he going to do to kind of turn these turn this thing around. And when you give up, you know, two players that were staples on your roster, and I say that with Sabotka and Berglund because they've both been moved up and down the lineup. You're taking two pieces out. You're moving along a first-round pick that you held in high regard, plus you give up two high draft picks to get one guy. Not only that, and you're paying that seven and a half million dollar roster bonus due on July first. To me, that's you know that says something not only of Doug Armstrong but of ownership to uh, give him that reign to do that. And uh, I think it was a bold move, and I think it was a great move because you're bringing in a guy here that, uh, although he's not going to put up Connor McDavid like numbers or Sidney Crosby or Malkin like numbers, not necessarily, but a guy that's of need for this roster, a guy that can play that two-way game is a great face-off guy. And the Blues, let's let's face it, the Blues are successful when they're a possession hockey team. And Ryan O'Reilly's going to win you, if he's going to win you 60% of the face-offs, that means obviously you're starting with the puck six out of every ten times, and that bodes well for this team. And uh, he's going to improve a power play that obviously was not very good last year. Let's, and, I, and I'm being 
and I'm being very uh, kind in saying that. You're 30th in the league, and he was a guy that had 15 goals last year. If I'm not mistaken, that was third in the league. So, and and obviously the year before, you brought in Braden Shen, you know, who was tied for first in the NHL in power play goals. So, you're bringing in a guy that's going to bring you. Uh, some versatility in a number of different areas and uh, you're shoring up your center ice position now instead of going in with uh, Braden Shen and who else now you've got uh, now you've got Braden Shen and Ryan O'Reilly as a 1A and a 1B and that's that's a pretty good place to start so Blues fans love 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 and you know more than I do uh, to speculate about what the lines are going to look like so <laughs> I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, who is Ryan O'Reilly going to play with and gel with, in your opinion? Ooh, I thought about this for a couple of days now, and, and, I, and I had to tie in Pat Maroon with this, and I think that's where I'm starting to go with this a little bit. I can really see a situation where the Blues are going to try to use a Pat Maroon in a situation like Edmonton did with uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl. I can see Maroon playing with O'Reilly and a Tarasenko, and he's going to be your guy that goes in and does the dirty work, gets the puck for these guys. And I'd be remiss to say that O'Reilly won't, uh, you know, be a guy that won't do this stuff because he is. I mean, he is not only is he a talented guy, but he's a grinder too. So I think Tarasenko's going to, if that's the line that Mike Yo decides to go with, I think Tarasenko's going to be a guy that's going to be greatly affected by this and. uh more so than people realize because uh, you're going to have two guys that are going to be able to go into those hard areas and get him the puck. And we all know when you get Vlad Tarasenko the puck in, in a shooting area, he's pretty, he's pretty lethal with it. So that's, that, can be, that can be a line that I could see formulating. And you throw, you, know, you throw a guy like Shen and Schwartz, and obviously I think you're going to see those two guys together. But You've got a number of different options where you can go with that. You know, you can see a David Perron playing there. You can see a Robbie Fabry playing there. But, man, what a great problem for Mike Yoda to have when, you know, you can get out a piece of paper right now and just start sketching lines down. And now you're looking at your top six and going, well, who am I going to play with who? Last year you were wondering, uh, you know, when you put a top six together, do I even have enough names to put in a top six? <laughs> it's a good problem for this team to have now. So speaking of uh, the top six from last year, uh, you mentioned the the trade of Saboka and Berglund, two kind of staples in the Blues lineup. Um, everyone's obviously extremely positive about the O'Reilly signing and the trade in general, but do you think there's going to be any any holes maybe defensively or uh, in the bottom six with Saboka and Berglund being gone? I don't think so because when you look at it now, Tyler Bozak is all of a sudden he's your third line center. Well, this is a this is a good two way forward. You got a guy like Alex Steen who could potentially be in a top. You know, you can start him in a top six role. You never know. You want to see how camp goes. Now that you know, just now all of a sudden throwing names out there. This is a guy that could be in your in your uh, bottom nine uh, or in your in your in your top nine and be a third line guy. And we know Steen's a two way player. I mean, it, it, the, it, there's endless possibilities here. I think the one guy that you are going to miss is a Kyle Brodziak because now you're looking at a fourth-line center probably either being Robert Thomas or an Ivan Barbashev. And you're talking about two young guys that, uh, and obviously in Thomas, hasn't seen a lick or hasn't gotten a sniff in the NHL. So you're going to wonder how he's going to react, and you're going to miss a guy like a Kyle Brodziak who – Let's be honest here. Without Kyle Brodziak last year, I don't think the Blues are going down to the 
to the last day of the regular season with a chance to make the playoffs for for what he did for them uh, was just to me phenomenal. But let, let's face it, you don't want Kyle Brodziak being one of your one of your top two center icemen on your team. You like him in that role down there, so you're going to miss him down there. But you know that that that's again where you bring in a guy like Pat Maroon who can play anywhere from your first line to your fourth line. Well. What if Mike Yo decides to play him on a fourth line? Uh, I think that's a pretty good piece to have and a guy that can get you anywhere from 15 to 25 goals and can go out there and crash and bang bodies with, with the rest of them. So, no, I don't think there's going to be any deficiencies uh, defensively with this team. And, and when you talk about defensively, it's all going to start with their blue line. And, you know, Doug Armstrong didn't mess with that at all, and he's really content with that. So this team prides itself on defense, and I don't see that changing moving forward. So you mentioned uh, Pat Maroon a couple times, the Blues' most recent signing. Um, we all kind of know already, I think, what this, he's going to add to this team. But uh, something that, that really can't be overstated is um, what your piece was, was mostly about. In, in those that want to read it, you can read it at lcorak10.blogspot.com. Uh, you wrote about how excited he was for coming home because his son's here. Uh, he gets to be a father about three months a year, so now he's here full-time. He gets to go to his pregame skates and, and all that. So, I mean, you can't really put a price, I guess, on, on what Pat Maroon uh, is going to be, uh, what he's looking forward to with playing with this team. How much stock do you put into that? Do you see him having a good year because he's finally where he wants to be? Oh, heck yeah. He's home now. I mean, he there. Listen, there, there's a number of different directions that this can go in, and, and I've talked to players in the past that have told me that the best thing that could have happened for their career was to get the heck out of, out of town, get away from, get away from all, the, all the relatives and family asking for tickets and uh, wanting autographs from such and such player. Uh, the list can go on and on here. I, I, I can sit here and talk to you for hours and hours about some of the things that I've heard. But Pat Maroon is one of these guys that I just get the sense that he embraces being home. And num- first and foremost, it all comes back to his son. I mean, for those that that haven't seen it, you can YouTube it. You can go on spor- uh, sportsnet.ca and, fi- and just Google Pat Maroon uh, reaction to scoring in St. Louis uh, and seeing the video clip of him just tearing up and, and seeing his son in the stands react to when he scored a goal in his hometown. It was It's priceless. And... Uh, you know, you don't you don't get an appreciation uh, as much if, unless you think about it for a guy that talks about, hey, now I get to go see my kid play basketball. I can go to his soccer game in September now on a Saturday morning, uh, knowing that uh, I don't have to be in a in a different city or in his case in in a different country in Canada and see it on FaceTime or or or, or, or do do some kind of a, a video with his son. He can actually see it live. He can go watch his kid's hockey game. He can watch him play baseball. He can wake up in the morning with him and have breakfast with him and they can talk about they can talk about his game and uh you know just just get that dad dad and son advice and just get those conversations going. When you only see your kid three three months out of the year, it, it takes a toll on him and uh He's he's never hidden the fact that he's close to his son Anthony. He loves the kid to death, and uh, you know he's got family and friends around that uh, are are not going to be really nuisances to him. They, you know they're going to support him. They're going to they're going to love the fact that he's back home. His parents get to see him play here. 
he talked to us yesterday about you know how his dad had season tickets and they had and they had two tickets and he'd wind up taking Pat and his brother and uh, one would sit on dad's lap and the other one would sit in the seat and he'd get to watch his favorite players Brett Hall and Adam Oates and I mean just hearing stories like that is great and I think he's going to be a great addition because if, if, if you don't believe this guy made a sacrifice he left. He left multiple dollars on the table and multiple terms so he can come back home. And you'd like to think that there was a handshake agreement there where if Pat Maroon and, and the Blues are trusting him that uh, he's going to be healthy and fine when the year starts. And if things start going well, they'll open up conversations. Uh, from what I was told, they'll open up conversations in January for a contract extension. And it, potentially he'll be able to finish his career here. And I think it's a great story. Oh, I completely agree with you. Um, so, obviously, again, we've talked a, a little bit about Doug Armstrong and the retooling he's done. Um, you mentioned the fourth-line center could could potentially be an issue for this team. And then, obviously, the goaltending is something that uh, people are still questioning at this point. Do you think there's anything Doug Armstrong is going to do the rest of the summer? Do you see him kind of still trying to make a couple tweaks here and there, or do you think that he's pretty happy with the roster going forward? I think he's happy with the roster going forward as far as the additions are concerned. Now, I'll always leave the door open because I'll be honest with you, when they signed uh, David Perron and Tyler Bozak, I thought they were done for the day. And the next thing you know, here comes the bombshell Sunday night with that big Ryan O'Reilly trade. Uh, so I'll always leave the door open and never never say with any conviction that he's finished. But I, I think with a, with a confident degree of certainty here, I, I feel that He's content with his roster. And I shouldn't say content because that almost sounds like you're settling for something. But uh, I think he's happy with his roster the way it's constructed. But if he does anything from here uh, until the season starts, I think he's going to have to shed a little bit of salary here. So uh, just to keep this team under the cap, because you still have Joel Edmondson that you have to get signed as a restricted free agent. Jordan Schmaltz is another guy you still have to get a contract to. And they have just a little bit under $3.3 million in salary cap remaining. And I know Doug Armstrong's been a guy that's liked to have a little bit of buffer going into the season and not be pressed up right up, right up against that cap number and likes to give himself a little bit of leeway. So there may be a casualty or two somewhere along the forward lines, and that's going to come down with competition and training camp because uh, when you bring in a Pat Maroon, that's probably what, that's the biggest reason why, to me, why the Blues weren't able to give him you know, more money and more term because they basically asked him to sacrifice and give them a little bit of help right now, and we'll turn around and give you a little bit of help in the future by possibly giving you an extension. So there's going to have to be a little bit of wiggle room there. So if he does anything else, he's probably going to have to shed a little bit. Well, Lou, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. I know everybody's going to love hearing your take on everything with the Blues and, and uh, kind of your career of covering the blues um why don't you tell our audience how they can interact with you on social media and where they can find everything you write well i'm only on twitter as far as social media is concerned uh, i know everybody likes to juggle the facebook's and the instagrams and all that other stuff but you can find me on twitter at lcorac10 that's l-k-o-r-a-c-1-0 I'm always there. I will interact with you uh, any chance that I get. I can't tell you with a degree of certainty that I'm going to answer everybody as, <laughs> as soon as you ask me something. I'm not always on 
on my Twitter account, but I tend to check it periodically during the off season. And during the season, you can find me on it quite a bit. And obviously, you can find me at NHL.com. And uh, I have my own uh, blog page that I call In the Slot. And uh, you gave the, the web address for that. But as long as you Google In the Slot, you'll find uh, you'll find where I tend to post blog postings there. And uh, they use my work at uh, KSDK.com. And uh, I just recently joined... Uh, Rob Rains is uh, stlsportspage.com, and you can find my stuff there as well. So I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know you were part of STL Sports Page. That's great. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, Rob and I go back uh, a couple of years here that he's uh, been a regular guy covering the St. Louis Blues, uh, doing it for the Sports Exchange. And uh, we had a little conversation here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're going to see if we can make this work and uh, try to make his uh, – uh, blues coverage on uh, the stlsportspage.com a little bit better. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Lou, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me, and uh, I, I enjoyed doing this, and thanks for taking me down memory lane. It was awesome. So I again want to thank Lou for coming on. Great to have him on. Just a, a really knowledgeable hockey guy and uh, somebody who obviously has a lot of Intel in, in the Blues and has uh, worked in St. Louis media for some time now, even though he's still a very, very young man. I can't stress that enough. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, as he said, at LKORAK10. That's L-K-O-R-A-C-1-0. You can also find his blog at LKORAK10.blogspot.com. And, of course, you can see everything he writes uh, for the NHL over at NHL.com. Uh, I believe his stuff also gets posted on the Blues site. I could be incorrect on that, but I think a lot of the stuff he does does end up there, especially the game recaps. Those are always on there as well, so uh, worth checking out when the season starts. Also want to thank Smash and Gene Ackman for the use of their awesome Let's Go Blues song, which is so versatile. We're able to use it with all different kinds of clips, audio, so it's just a, a fun song, and, and I've really enjoyed working with it this summer. Also should mention, as I do every week, thank you to the great late Johnny Johnson uh, for that amazing piano solo that you hear every week. So Twitter handles for this show. You can find our show Twitter at LGB Radio. The other hosts of this show who have been absent for the last couple weeks. Kurt Price is at Kurt Price. That's Kurt with a C. Bill Day is at Billy Blue Note, and uh, myself, Jeff Ponder, can be found at jponder94. So as I said last week in my Zipra Zeppa interview, Chris Kerber was going to join me for this show, but, you know, things happen. So I'm going to try and get Chris on for next week, but I can't promise that for sure. But we're going to try it, uh, try to get something done this week to where I can post it next week. We'll hopefully have back-to-back Lou Korak and Chris Kerber, which would be very exciting. So uh, if I get to talk to Chris, we'll talk about how uh, how involved he is in the process of finding his new color commentator. And, of course, we'll be talking a lot of the St. Louis Blues hockey. So when that one happens, you're not going to want to miss it. Well, thank you again for listening. Thanks to Lou Korak for being my guest this week. And I will talk to you next week on the next episode of Let's Go Blues Radio.
Louis Hockett, you got to bleed blue. 